Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. So I want to talk about um, uh, the church's wells that the Awaken Church is known for. Who's been to DNA class? Who's not been to DNA class? That might be easier to see. All right, so DNA starts this Sunday. If you text DNA course to 55525, you can get signed up, show up at nine o'clock and we'll give you food and tell you about the church. But one of the things that they talk about in that course is the three wells that Awaken Church is known for. Hey, there you go. All right, one of the things they talk about is the three wells that Awaken Church is known for. There, there's lots of things um, that people grow from in our church, but there's three things in particular um, that over the last 17 or 18 years, people have noticed people that go to Awaken Church and get planted at Awaken Church, they grow in these areas. So one of them is that this church has a flow that brings people from sickness to healing. And one of them is... Um, it brings people from a place of poverty to a place of prosperity. And then the third one is it brings people from a place of barrenness to a place of fruitfulness. So sickness and health and poverty and prosperity, those words have pretty specific meanings. You know, there, there's different kinds of health for sure, and there's different kinds of prosperity for sure. But typically, um, you'd be right to assume that if someone's talking about health and prosperity, they're talking about exactly what you think they're talking about money or finances, they're talking about your physical or mental health, maybe a relational health. Um, it's, it's pretty straightforward for the most part. There's exceptions, but for the most part, it's pretty straightforward that if we're talking about the well that takes you from poverty to prosperity, we're talking about Peter Perino and race cars and flow charts and, and the massive increase in his salary that doesn't even exist on a pay scale. If we're talking about going from sickness to health, we're talking about people that um, have been miraculously healed from something physical. Like when David Macon prayed for his brother who had been shot and now he's on the process of uh, recovery instead of dead. So th these are real things. You, you hear these stories everywhere. You probably have some of these stories yourself. Um, but tonight I wanna talk about that other third supernatural well, the one of barrenness to fruitfulness. And you know we, we don't ignore that topic here at this church. Um, Pretty much every message you hear is geared to make you more fruitful. Um, we just don't say the word fruitful all the time. So if you, it, it, you might not recognize it. So you hear all these messages that are geared to make you fruitful without someone actually saying, this is to make you fruitful. Well, tonight I want to talk specifically about how to become more fruitful. <laughs> There's fruit, yeah. <laughs> I hadn't seen that yet. But my wife got a preview at work today, so she thought it was funny. Um, all right, so, so we don't talk about it as much specifically by name, and I, I wonder if maybe one of the reasons is that, you know, health and prosperity are things that God produces in you. They're, they're kind of like, they're things that you receive from God. They're things where... Um, he, he moves, and as a result, you have health. He moves, and as a result, you have prosperity. 
where fruitfulness is not something that he does in you, but it's something that he produces through you. So, you know, a tree that produces fruit does not eat the fruit that it produces. So, so that's where I'm going with this tonight. You know, you're, we're called to, to be prosperous, to be healthy, but we're also called to be fruitful and to produce something that's going to benefit someone else. All right. So while, while, while health and prosperity usually mean exactly what you think they mean, um, moving from barrenness to fruitfulness, it could be a little more ambiguous. It could be... Um, any area of your life where you could be, be, be more fruitful. It could be as literal as someone who was unable to have children, now able to have children, or it could be any area where God has called you to produce something that you're not yet producing, and this flow will get you from here to there. So um, with that, I'm going to set a little stage here, set some context. Tonight, we're going to be talking about this through the context of Jacob, the, the guy in the Old Testament. Um, he was Abraham's grandson, and he's going to be the, the, the story here. We're going to about, talk about fruitfulness and some of the different steps you might find yourself on the journey to fruitfulness based on Jacob's journey to fruitfulness. He builds a number of altars and pillars throughout the journey. Uh, they're kind of like markers on his map that he's drawn to, to fruitfulness, and we're going to cover each of those. So um, I want to skip down, and I want to read this first verse here. This verse here, it's kind of like the key. This is, this is actually my final point, but I'm going to say it first. Um, this is, when you get this, then you're fruitful. So let's read Genesis 35, 19 through 21. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar on her grave, which is the pillar of Rachel's grave to this day. Then Israel journeyed and pitched his tent beyond this tower, beyond the tower of Eder. So, I'll explain more about that. But this verse here, those three verses, are the key from leaving barrenness behind and stepping into fruitfulness. So, at that moment in the story, that is the moment where Jacob entered fruitfulness. And I'll I'll, I'll explain that in a minute. But. Um, we have to work up to understand what that means. It's not, I can't just say it and then, you know, then you're there. So we have to walk through a few steps and we're going to do that. We're going to see how we can do it too and how we can become a fruit factory. I like alliteration. So they both start with an F. I don't know if you noticed that. And you'll also notice that all of my points ended up starting with the letter R. So there you go. All right. So point number one. Um, run. So Jacob's life takes up more than half of the book of Genesis. And I only have 20 more minutes. So we're not going to read all of that. Um, but I'll give you the quick, the quick summary. He was the younger of two twin brothers. Um, he was born holding on to his brother's heel who was born before him. And that's why they named him Jacob, which means heel grabber. Um, it, it comes later in his life to mean things like the trickster, the deceiver, or the one who strives, or you know, all kinds of other meanings. But basically, he's trying to get something that he, he thinks should be his. Obviously, as a newborn, he doesn't think. But that, that's the, the symbolism of it all, is that he's trying to get something that he thinks should be his. And what he doesn't know, especially at that time, is that God has already prophesied that his older brother will serve his younger brother. So his older brother Esau, who was born first, will serve the younger brother Jacob, who was born you know, moments later. So 
that, that's a characteristic that he carries throughout his life where he's always trying to orchestrate on his own ability this blessing that he feels he should have because God said he should have it. But he's trying to arrange it on his own. So uh, the, the story goes, Jacob uh, swindles his brother out of his birthright and then he tricks his dad later as his dad is on his deathbed. He tricks his dad into giving him the, the blessing that belongs to the firstborn. So Esau ends up with nothing and Jacob ends up with the birthright and this blessing which are, are significant in, in, in this culture. And Esau is angry and he swears, I'm going to kill my brother. You know, kind of a hothead. He, he's the hunter guy. He's hairy. He's burly. He's manly man. He hunts. He, he's, he's angry and he's going to kill his brother. Um, so Jacob runs away. And that first night that Jacob's run away, he has a dream and God speaks to him and makes a promise that um, he's going to bless Jacob and he's going to uh, bless his descendants and this whole land will become his. And so I, I'm trying to skip through so I can get to the good part. So bear with me here. Um, so as a result, Jacob sets up the first of what I'm going to call these pillars or altars. He sets up a pillar of running. At this point, Jacob was on the run. He had been trying to run things himself. He had been trying to arrange and orchestrate the blessings of God into his own life um, through his own ability. And he, he makes this pillar and he makes a vow to God as a result of this dream where God tells him this stuff, but it's conditional. And it says um, in Genesis 28, 19, Jacob called the name of that place Bethel. Uh, it had formerly been called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me in this way and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on and I can come back to my father's house, then the Lord shall be my God. So in this place in Jacob's life, he knows God's real. You know, if he was a Christian, we'd say he's already saved at this point. Um, but in this area, he is putting conditions on God. He's running things himself. And he's not allowing God to, to be God. He is saying, God, you told me this was my promise, so I'm going to go get my promise on my own. Um, Jacob hears these promises. He knows they come from God, but he's still the heel grabber. He's still the schemer. And this conditional vow is, um, is kind of what this season represents. So if you are just starting out on your own journey to fruitfulness, which some of you may be well beyond this, some of you may not even know what this means, and we'll cover that in a minute. But if you're just starting out, you might feel like you need to keep doing some things on your own. You might have heard God give you a promise. Someone may have prophesied a word over you and you are taking it um, on your own shoulders to go and make that happen. And I'm here to tell you, that's okay. God did not get offended when Jacob said, if you do this, then you'll be my God. That's not where God wanted him to be. But God did not get offended at that. So if that's where you're at right now, God is not offended, and that's okay. He wants you to move on, but it's okay. Start there, and we'll move on. So we know it's okay because God didn't get offended by it. Um, so even if you're not at the place where you can say, I trust God, you will be. All right. So moving on to step two, um, I call the point restore. So 20-some years come and go for Jacob, and in that time, he meets the cutest girl in Haran. He marries her. 
he marries her sister too. Uh, he marries two other women. Um, they have a bunch of kids. It's, it's like a weird culture thing. I guess it's normal for them. Um, but it, it <laughs> God finally tells him it's time to stop running. This is 20 years later. He's got 12 kids by now. It's time to stop running things yourself. And it's time to be restored to your family. So he says, God tells him, you need to go back to where you came from. You need to go back to the land of your father. You need to go back and see your brother um, and, and write things with your brother. So Jacob, you know, he's, he's in a place in his life now where he's trusting God. He, he's, he does that. So on the way, he learns that Esau is coming to meet him with 400 men. And that's kind of scary. You know, that's um, his brother, the last time he saw him, threatened to kill him. And now he's got 400 soldiers with him. And Jacob's got his, his four wives and 12 kids and some cattle. And uh, he's worried that, that, Jake, uh, that Esau is, is going to kill him, is going to attack him. So he prays to God. He says, you told me to go home, but now Esau's coming and I'm scared that he wants revenge. But you promised to take care of me and my family. You promised this. So that night he wrestled with God. This is in Genesis 32, I think, or 28. I don't remember. It doesn't matter. He wrestled with God and he would not let go until God gave him a blessing. There it is, Genesis 32, 26. He will, I will not let you go until you bless me. And God eventually blessed him. He gave him a new name. And Jacob, you know, he called the place um, Peniel, which means um, I saw the face of God. Peniel means face of God. So the next morning when he meets Esau, um, he's expecting Esau to be angry and to attack him, to possibly kill his wives and children. Um, and he bows down, but Esau is not the same man that he was when Jacob left. Esau runs to him, and in verse 4 of chapter 33, it says, Esau ran to meet him, embraced him, fell on his neck, and kissed him, and they wept. Esau was not the same man that he was before. We don't know what happened to him. The Bible doesn't say what happened to him, but he wasn't angry now. He, he was in love with his brother. You know, he, he, he cared for his brother. He wanted good for his brother. He, Jacob had tried to bribe him. Esau said, no, I don't want your stuff. I just want to, you know, restore this relationship with you. Um, as a side note, I, um, when I was studying this over and over and over again, I don't know what these people look like in the Bible, but in my mind, I made up um, what I thought they might look like. And um, I have a picture that I sent to the to the media team that I think this is probably what um, Jacob and Esau look like. If you could put that up there. Did it not work? There. Yeah. I, I can't get that out of my head. I, I, I even Googled it. There's articles all over the internet about this, about Jacob being Loki, Esau being Thor. One's the big muscular guy, one's the soft guy that tricks everybody. It's... It's like biblical. It's amazing. A marvel could save people. It's, um... so, anyway, um, I don't know. Now it's stuck in your head too. Um, but after he reconciles with his brother, we see that throughout his life, he's also began to reconcile with God. So at this point, 
um, Jacob is no longer at his pillar of running that he set up in, in our first point. Now he's at an altar of restoration. Um, so Genesis 33, 19, 20 says, He bought the parcel of land where he had pitched his tent from the children of Hamor, Shechem's father, for a hundred pieces of money, and he erected an altar there and called it something. Um, El Elohi Israel. I didn't practice that part, sorry. But the, the important part is he built an altar at his point of restoration. He had a pillar when he was running and now he's got this altar of restoration. An interesting thing that's not in my notes is that the place where he built this altar is um, the same place like uh, 25, 30 chapters earlier where his grandfather Abraham also built an altar and God promised Abraham in that moment, the place where you are now, um, I will give to your descendants as an inheritance. And Jacob, in this point, owns that land as that inheritance, and he's building this new altar to God to replace the one from before. Um, like Pastor Michael said, I studied way too much about this, way too many details, and I, I am trying to limit how many of them I share. But that, these, these are the things that, as I'm working through this kind of stuff myself, I, I see myself where there have been times in my life where I've been the one that's trying to control things. I, I've known that there's something that, that has been promised to me by God. And I find myself being the one to go after and to try to orchestrate it. It doesn't mean I'm running from God. It doesn't mean I'm like not saved, but it's, I, I'm trying to put into my control things that belong in his control. And there's been times where I've had to walk through a season of restoration. And, you know, this is me following along with the story of Jacob here. And maybe some of you too. But the next place we're going after this, after Jacob's been restored, he gets to a point of recognition. So the altar of, recogn of recognizing in chapter 35, um, Jacob is even more mature now than he was before. He, he's praying. He knows, he knows God more now. He knows that it's time to go back to Bethel because, you know, God said, you, you, need, to go, you need to go back to Bethel because that's where you're from. That's where I first met you. So I'm, I'm sending you back to Bethel. So Jacob says in chapter 35 to his family, he says, let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and has been with me in the way which I have gone. And then verse 7, it says, And he built an altar there and called the place El Bethel, because there God appeared to him when he fled from his brother. So Jacob is going back to the place where he first met God. He was at Bethel when he had the dream, when he built the pillar of running, but now he's going back to Bethel, um, but this time it's different. The first two, he built the altar wherever he was. He was at Bethel. He built an altar at Bethel. He was at Peniel, so he built an altar at Peniel. This time he says, I am going back to the place where I met God, and I'm going to build the altar there again. I'm not going to build it here where I am, but I'm going back to the place where I met God, and that's where I'm going to build. So he starts this journey to build this altar of recognizing and he says, you're the God who is always with me. I, I, I've always known that, but today I recognize that. And I'm recommitting to you and to building an altar now that I should have built the first time I was here. So when you're at the altar of recognizing, you're saying not only do I not put any conditions on my promise to follow you. Uh, there's no if and there's no then on my, on my commitment to following you, Jesus. It's I'm following you, Jesus. And it's not only do I know that, you know, 
you, you, you've got my future in your hands, but I recognize that my whole past, where I've been before, has been anointed, and you've got that in your hands as well. You hold my future and my past, and now I recognize that. All right. So um, I'm coming up to my fourth point here. The, you can come back up, Jared, whenever you're ready. Um, I wasn't sure if I was going too fast or too slow. So... Um, just right. Thank you. Thank you, Alan. It was just right. Just, just like Goldilocks. Um, so that, that brings me to, that brings me to the, the, the last point. And this is, this is the key one. This is the one I started out with. This is the one where I read those verses about Rachel and being buried and all that stuff at the beginning. This is the key. You know, if you, if you get to the point where you, you're no longer trying to run things yourself, if you get to the point where you're restored to um, the people around you, you're restored to God as your father, if you get to the point where you recognize that he holds your future and he holds your past in his hand, then you can come to this fourth pillar. So the last place on Jacob's map to fruitfulness, and it's the one, like I said, I think it's the key, and honestly, this is the place where I feel like I'm at right now. I mentioned at the beginning that as I prepare to preach, I, I find myself talking about the things that I'm in progress on. I'm, I'm work in progress. This is my work in progress. It's not something that I know. It's not something that I can tell you because I figured this out years ago. This is, this is where I was at this week, Okay. This is, I finished writing this like two hours ago. This is real time. This is real life. This is, this is the part of me that I wanted to put into this message because others of you are here too. So this message, I, I've been chewing on it for probably 15 months now. The last two times Pastor Michael asked me to preach, I thought to myself, this is the message I'm going to preach. I'm going to preach this one about Jacob. I'm going to preach this one about Rachel. I'm going to preach this one about fruitfulness. But I couldn't make it work. I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't understand why. And it's because I was still going through all those other steps. I was still, I, had, I could say these words, but I hadn't lived all the part to get up to this yet. So now, third time's a charm here. This is, this is my chance to finally say, really this one page is all I really wanted to preach about. The rest was was just to get you here. It was the process I took to get to this point. So we're up to chapter 35 now. But back in chapter 32, when Jacob wrestled with God, God gave him a new name. He said, I'm going to call you Israel because you wrestled with God. Israel means wrestle with God. Jacob means heel grabber. Um, I don't know if you remember when, past, um, when Dr. Brian came and preached back at the bar uh, a year or so ago, he talked a little bit about Jacob, and he talked about the names of Jacob and the name of Israel, and how Jacob, meaning heel grabber, is not so much different than Israel, meaning wrestler. They're both reaching out and taking something and struggling towards something, but one of them is struggling on your own power, and one of them is struggling with God. So, you're wrestling either way. You're grabbing either way. You're working either way. You're striving either way. You're doing all of this effort, whatever that is, either way. But one time you're doing it on your own power and one time you're doing it with God. And growing up, I thought, 
it was such a drastic change to change from heel grabber to God wrestler. But now that I've been living through this, it's, it's like looking at the same name from a different perspective. It's, it's one of those shapes where you look at it this way, it's a circle, you turn it this way and it's a square. It's, it's two sides of the same thing. So that was a total sidebar, but it was important. So I'm glad I said it. Um, so even though we know the story, I don't know if you read this or not. If you read, um, I, I was reading through the New King James translation as I was preparing this, and I read it through several versions, and then I opened up this software that tells me what the Hebrew was. And I don't read Hebrew, but I can recognize the symbols. And um, I don't know what they mean, except for it says this one means Jacob and this one means Israel. In chapter 32, that's the first time God says, I'm going to call you Israel. He repeats it again in chapter 35, but no one ever calls him Israel. They always call him Jacob. They keep calling, even though God says, you should be called Israel. Your name is Jacob, you should be called Israel. Jacob doesn't accept that. Jacob says, I'm a heel grabber. Jacob does not accept the, the name that God's given him that you wrestle with God. Jacob believes the name that his mother gave him that I wrestle for myself. So why is that? And here, here's, here's my take. There's three generations of promise and three generations of barrenness. Um, Abraham, Jacob's grandfather, was promised by God that if he could count the stars, his descendants would be more than that. Isaac, Jacob's father, had the promise that God would establish an everlasting covenant with him and his descendants. Jacob was promised that your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and every nation will be blessed by you. But there is also those same three generations were plagued with barrenness. Sarah, um, you know, went 25 years from the first time that, you know, they were told that they were going to have descendants like the stars before she finally had a baby. She was 90 years old when she had the baby. They, they, they eventually had, a, had, the, had the baby, but they struggled, they fought with this barrenness in their lives. Isaac and his wife, Rebecca, were barren for 20 years before they could have babies. And Isaac, the Bible says, Isaac prayed for Rebecca and God finally opened her room 20 years later. J Jacob and his wife, Rachel, the cute one for Haran, not the sister, um, they were barren for years too. Um, her sister had all kinds of babies. Her, her, the other wives had babies, but, but Rachel had none. And even though she finally had you know, Joseph and later had Benjamin, uh, she was the symbol of barrenness in, in Jacob's life. So how did he finally move from that barrenness to fruitfulness? So let's read 35, 19 again. Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath. In the verse 20, Jacob set up a pillar on her grave, which is the pillar of Rachel's grave to this day. 21, then Israel journeyed and pitched his tent beyond the eater. So Rachel, as much as he loved her, she was a symbol of barrenness and she died on the way to Ephrath. But... Does anyone in here already know what Ephrath means before I, before I say what it means? Nobody. Nobody. It, it, it is the same city as Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread. But Ephrath means fruitfulness. So his barrenness died on the way to his fruitfulness. 
And in that moment, Jacob set up a pillar of renaming and he journeyed on as Israel. When he buried his barrenness, when he set aside the part of him that wasn't producing and moved towards producing what God had called him to do, it was because he understood that he was no longer a heel grabber, but the one that was wrestling with God. So I, I call this one the pillar of renaming, and it's the first time that the scripture actually calls him Israel. You know, we, we as readers, we can read it and we can see the context and know that God named him Israel. But it's always, uh, uh, the, the context of that is always saying God named him Israel, but it's never saying Israel did such and such. It always, Jacob did such and such. But from this point on, the, the scriptures refer to him as Israel. And it's because he stepped into fruitfulness. So, um, if you're in this place, you're wandering near fruitfulness, but you're not quite there, I want you to remember one thing. You know, you, you may have a name that was spoken over you. And I'm not talking about your birth name. You know, my name's actually not Scott, by the way. My name is Brian. Um, but my parents decided to call me by my middle name, Scott. So I have this, this weird connection with Jacob where I have these two names. And, and Michael does too, and, and Jake does too, and Alan does too. There's way more people at this, Will does too. Is Will back there? Yeah, there, there's so many people at this campus, and I feel like this, this, is, this is a Jacob campus. This is an Israel campus. This is where people go from barrenness to fruitfulness. But you, you may have a name that's been spoken over you. And I'm here to tell you that, that God has a name for you too. It doesn't mean necessarily that your, your other name was entirely wrong. But he has a twist on it that if you will accept the way that he sees your name, you can set aside your barrenness. You can bury it. You could put a pillar on it. You could remember, I used to be barren, but now I'm moving to Ephrath. So he's not asking you to bring fruitfulness to your own life. He's not offended when you wrestle with him. He's excited when you recognize his hand is on your future and on your past. And in all these moments, all these pillars and altars like Jacob had, he wants to produce fruit um, he had been producing fruit in you, but this last one, when you take on the identity he has for you, is when he produces fruit through you. <clears throat> Sorry. So we all have, I'm wrapping up now. Um, I actually am out of notes. Um, we all have... The, the, this identity that God's given us. You know, we're children of God. Romans says, um, I think it's 8 something, 829 says, um, at least that's what I wrote down from my memory. Jesus is the firstborn of many brothers and sisters. We are the brothers and sisters. We are children of God. That's, that's one facet of our identity. But we each have our own too. You know, um, Jacob had the identity of from heel grabber to God wrestler. You know, I, I have the identity of, you know, a doer or, uh, you know, what, you know, somebody that executes something to, you know, I, I feel that the identity God has put on me is as a teacher. And I really don't want to teach kids, but um, I feel like I have, I, I feel like I have um, 
this passion, whether or not I'm good at it, I don't know, but I have this passion for trying to take things that I find um, complicated and interesting and um, explain them to someone. And hopefully they understand. And if they do, you know, then I'm in fruit, fruitful land. And if they don't, then I'm not. But I, I feel like that's an area where he is calling me into that I haven't really stepped into. Um, but you have one too. And he may be saying, you used to be called this but now I want you to look at it from this angle here and see that I'm going to take that same set of attributes that I put in you, but I'm going to put my lens on it and you're going to become fruitful when you look at those same attributes of your life through my lens instead of your own. So. So I want to, I want to close it up um, by telling one more story. Um, in, in the New Testament, in John chapter 4, and I don't remember if I gave you guys these verses or not, so it doesn't matter. Um, Jesus went to the city of Samaria. He was on his way from one place to another. Samaria was the shortcut, um, so he went there. But Samaritans didn't like Jews, and Jews didn't like Samaritans. But he's going through Samaria anyway, and he stops at this well in the middle of the day, and he's alone. And a woman comes up to the well, and um, he asks her for water. And there's this long story, uh, it's you know, several verses long, but she says, you know, why, why are you asking me for water? You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan, we hate each other. And through it all, Jesus, you know, prophesies to her, he tells her her past, he tells her her future, and he says, if you knew who was talking to you, you would ask me for water, and I would give you something. The place where they're at in Samaria, in verse, verse uh, 5 and 6 of chapter 4, now Jacob's well was there. This is the well of Jacob, the well of discovering your identity, the well of learning who you are is where this woman is coming. And Jesus is saying, okay, you've been drinking from this well long enough. Now it's time to drink from a different well. And she says, I know that there's this Messiah that's coming, and when he comes, he's going to explain everything. And in verse 20-something, Jesus says, I am the Messiah. So there, there's this moment where Jesus is saying, yes, it's important that you drink from the well of Jacob. It's important that you understand your identity that, that God has put on you. It's important that you understand that, that God has your future and your past in your hands. It's important that you're restored. It's important that you're no longer trying to run things yourself. It's important that you see your identity the way that I see your identity. But you've been drinking from this well for long enough, and now it's time to drink from a new well where we talk about Jesus's identity. So in this time, if none of this has made any sense to you, if you think this guy is weird, if you think he's talking about things that I don't know about and I don't care about and he's using words that only weirdos say, he's, he's, he, I want you to know God, this is actually the first step that I put last. This is the moment where, where Jesus says, I have a well for you. You're going to discover these other wells. You're going to discover these other altars, these other pillars. You're going to discover all of these other things about your identity. But before that, I want you to know who I am. So if you're a person in this room who has never met the identity of Jesus Christ, who has never seen who Jesus is, heard who Jesus is, has never uh, made an acquaintance with him, has never, you know, 
surrendered your life to him, uh, this is an opportunity that I'd like to pray for you. And if, if you are someone who has never given your life to God, or maybe, maybe you're someone who, like I was 25 years ago, who used to know God, but walked away from God, and now you're finding your way back into a church on a Wednesday night in May. Um, this is a moment for you too. And I would like to pray for you if you're either one of those people. If we could close our eyes for a moment. If you're in this room tonight and you have never surrendered your life to Jesus, you've never sat at the well with him and asked him who he was, or if you did it a long time ago and you walked away and now it's time to, to find your way back to that well, could you raise your hand so I could pray with you? Thank you. I see a hand over there. I see a hand up in the back over there too. Over on the other side over here. Thank you. I'll wait just a couple more seconds. If, if any of this is spoken to you, if you're wanting to skip ahead and, and wonder what it's like to to be in a place where you recognize God is in your future and in your past. If you're wanting to hear him speak a new name over you, I see your hand in the middle there. If you're if you're desiring to to step out of barrenness into fruitfulness, it starts with meeting Jesus at the well. All right. Thank you. Um, you can all open your eyes and stand up. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a prayer. I'm going to ask you to repeat after me, um, especially if you're one of the people that raised your hand. It, it's, it's, like I said, this is a moment of meeting Jesus at the well. So if we could all say this together. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that you put wells in our life. I thank you that you want me to move from barrenness to fruitfulness. I thank you that you want to give me a drink of living water. Today, I meet you, Jesus, at the well. I accept you as my Lord and as my Savior. I promise to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow. What an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.